What a way to start our service. Good morning. Let's stand and start our worship with a responsive scripture reading adapted from Psalm 27 and Isaiah 63. People of God, seek the Lord, dwell in his house, gaze upon his beauty, and inquire in his temple. Offer in the Lord's tent sacrifices with shouts of joy, sing and make melody to him. I will recount the steadfast love of the Lord, the praises of the Lord, according to all that the Lord has granted us, and the great goodness to the house of Israel, that he has granted them according to his compassion, according to the abundance of his steadfast love. Glad hour, thou who all my 
Sunday of the month of August here coming to the table of the Lord. As a church, we know that it's of high importance that we can pause, remember, feast on the Lord's love and grace and participate in the goodness that he has prepared for all of us. As we were singing that we are crowning him as the Lord of all. I want to invite you to consider this. We approach the table of a king this morning. And you know that in the presence of the king, there surely is respect, high honor, reverence. But for the believer, the believer also knows that as we approach the table of the king, we're not only approaching the table of the king. We are also coming to the table of our father. And as our father, we know that we can come as beloved children of the same king. See, there is a difference between those who come and approach the king in all the protocol that that demands and the little childs that come next to their father. But the father happens to be the king. There is a difference. And I want to invite you this morning to take both realities dear in your heart. Come to the Lord with reverence, but come with the Lord with that humility and naturality of the child that comes and approach the father. 
For the believer, communion is a very important part of our act of worship because this is, we believe this is a holy moment when we remember and celebrate the grace that has been given to us by our King Jesus. We respond in worship, adoration, reverence, and awe. Now, if you are visiting us and uh, you are a guest among us and you are still trying to figure out what Christianity is, uh, let, me, let me point out that the table for you, it's an invitation to consider, to search in your heart and to ponder about what salvation is. For the believer, the table of the Lord is the feast for our souls. It's when we remember God has loved me so much. I don't deserve this. But he, in his grace, has sent his son, died for me, rose again. And now as we await his, his second coming, we take this time, we remember, and we celebrate. So I'm going to invite you to take a moment of reflection. Think about this. Think about this. Bring your heart before the Lord. And prepare your heart before the Lord. God is present here with us as we take communion, not literally in, in the way of the bread and the wine or the juice, but his presence is among us. So this makes this moment holy. I want to invite you to take the cup that you have uh, previously um, taken with you, and you will find two little openings. Please open the one of the bread. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians, For I receive from the Lord what all I also pass unto you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's see. Now let's please take the other sticker on the other side of the cup. Paul keeps writing and he says, In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink in, it, in remembrance of me. Let's drink. 
Then Paul says, for whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this moment. We thank you for the love that you have lavished on us in the person of your son, Jesus Christ, dying for us, forgiving us of our sins, giving us a new life and a new hope for tomorrow. As your people, we want to respond to you with gratitude. Thank you, Lord, for your love. Thank you. We want to proclaim the truth of who you are. You are good. You are the king of all. And you are our father. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's please stand and keep worshiping the Lord. One of the reasons I love communion is that it's normal for us all to have doubts. And this is a concrete reminder of all that God has given us and all that he has done for us and what blessed assurance we have. So let's sing together.
go to someone next to you and say, the peace of Christ be with you, and then you may be seated. Peace of Christ be with all of you. See, I, I, I was the one that had, was able to greet everyone at the same time. We're going to call the ushers to please take their uh, positions. We want to worship the Lord with our offerings and our tithes. It is a, a blessing for us, the people of God, to worship with the Lord with our resources. He has given us uh, strength to work. He has given us wisdom to administrate. And now it is a privilege to come before him and worship him. We here in Whitton Bible believe that giving is it's not an obligation. It is a holy duty. It's an act of worship. And we give back to the Lord with joyfulness in our hearts because he has um, blessed us. If you are visiting us for the first time, please do not feel obligated to participate in this moment. This is for those of us who are part of this household, and this is our church family. You may pass the plates now. I want to remind you um, of other ways that you can give to the church, not only placing your offering in the plate, but you can also go to wheatonbible.org slash give, or you can send your offering to the church office. It is, it is a blessing when the people of God worships God and when we bring of our resources, we can continue to expand the mission of a church and bless other people that are serving the Lord in other places. As we are collecting the offerings, I have a very important announcement because in two weeks, I want to remind you that in two weeks, we are moving to our new service times and locations. So if in three weeks you forget this announcement, when you come to this service, this place is going to look a little different because this service is going to be moved to the East Worships Sanctuary, and we're going to have two services, like this one, 845 and 10.30, 8.45 and 10.30. And we're going to uh, gather the traditional service is going to continue in the East Worship Service, Sanctuary, I'm sorry. In the West Worship Sanctuary, we're going to have two contemporary worship services, same hours, 8.45 and 10.30. We need to pray for this, church, because, you know, uh, we already started to pray for, for Hannibal. Because he's going to be doing some moving. I think he's going to super fast go to all his steps on Sunday morning. Uh, just going between those services and greeting all the people of all those services. Um, so when you grow, there's something that we call, in English we call it the growing pains, right? And that's when you are growing and there's some discomfort. That happened to all of us when we were kids. I don't think this, grow, the, the pains that we feel at this age are not growing pains. It's a different kind of pains. It's just they come, they come with age, not with growing. <laughs> but 
surely the church may go through these growing pains as we readjust to this new format of services and schedules and where are we going. So let's just be patient with one another. Let's just love one another. Let's just use this opportunity to keep growing in our sanctification. Uh, uh, this is exciting because God is moving in our church and we want to make space for more people to come to the different services that we uh, provide here at Wheaton Bible Church. Uh, so I want to invite you as well to consider this starting August 20. Come either to a service and then serve, it, serve others in the next service. So if you come to 845, find ways that you can serve the church at 1030. Or if you want to come at 1030, find ways that you can serve the church at 845. Or join an adult community. Come to a service and then join an adult community. Okay? That's, that's, that's how we want to keep growing. We want the Lord to find us faithful as we are awaiting his second coming. So let's pray for this. Father, we are thankful that we can worship you this morning with the songs. We can worship you coming to your table. We can worship you with our offerings. And Lord, we want to also worship you with our response in how are you leading us as a church in this moment of growth, in this uh, period that we're going to be uh, expanding and adding new services and a new format and new hours, Lord. For surely some of us are going to forget something. Give us grace. Give us, give us a holy expectation to know that you are doing something new in our midst. And that I, there are people coming to salvation in our church. And we want to make room for, for new believers, for the emerging generations. We are praying, Lord, that you, that this, even this itself, the, the, the moving of the schedule, may this be also an act of worship from us as we respond to your calling. Lauren, I pray that uh, you speak to us this morning by your word. We know that your word has the power to change us. We pray, Holy Spirit of God, will you illuminate our eyes and our hearts so that the word of God may find good soil in our hearts so that we can bear fruit for the glory of the Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word today. We're reading from Matthew 24, verses 36 to 51. If you have your journal with you, with you it's on page 138. But about that day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, only the Father. But as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day that Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in the field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, 
because you do not know at what day your Lord will come. But understand this, if the owner of the house had known at what time of night the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and would not have let his house be broken into. So you also must be ready, because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household to give them their food at the proper time? It will be good for that servant whose master finds him doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But suppose that servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time, and he then begins to beat his fellow servants and to eat and drink with drunkards. The master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour he is not, is not aware of. He will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, once again, good morning. It is a joy for me to be here. My name is Sergio Villanueva, and I serve as one of the pastors here in Wheaton Bible Church, Iglesia del Pueblo. And it is my joy um, to come in, this morning and, and, and bring the, the Word of God in this, in this service. Today, we are returning to our series in Matthew. We've been going through this series, you know, if you are part of our church, we've been going in this series for long, more than a year already. And the last two weeks, we took a pause. We took a pause uh, for a mini-series that we call Extravagant. And it was uh, how do we respond to God in our giving and in our, in our, uh, our serving. But this morning, we are returning to Matthew 24. And let me remind you that we in Matthew 24, we, uh, I'm sorry, to, to the sermon, to the series of Matthew, we're going back to Matthew 24. That's the chapter that we are returning to. Let me remind you what's happening in Matthew 24. Matthew 24, it's already the last week of Jesus. This is right before he's going to Gethsemane, right before he's going to uh, be judged right before he's going to the cross. This is happening days before. Uh, and in Matthew 24, Jesus is speaking to the disciples, the religious leaders, and the people that are present. And, and we know this portion of the scripture as the Olivet Discourse, because Jesus is speaking these words in the Mount of Olives. Jesus is basically talking about three different things in this whole chapter. The destruction of the temple, the second coming of the Lord, and the end of the world. These are the basic themes. Now, um, uh, a month ago, Pastor Kyle was uh, introduced us to this chapter, and he was inviting us because this passage has to do a lot with the end times, like I was saying, like Jesus is speaking about the end times. So there's a lot of apocalyptic narrative in the text. And Jesus is talking about things that are about to come in the future. Some will happen in a near future. 
Some will happen in a more distant future. And, you know, people many times get fascinated by this. The end times. Just go to YouTube and type end times. No, don't go to YouTube and don't type end times. <laughs> You're going to find a plethora of people discussing, thinking, theories, everything. And this is the problem when we talk about the end times. We get lost on the details. Pastor Kyle uh, um, reminded us four Sundays ago. He said this, don't miss the forest for the trees. So sometimes we get so caught on the details that we forsake the big, bigger picture. That we're not looking at the big picture that Jesus is uh, painting. So this, this morning, I want you to, we want to do the same. I, I want to go to the text and I want to emphasize some aspects that Jesus is talking at the, at the end of the chapter. Uh, where he is bringing us this set of warnings. He started the chapter with this these warnings about the end times. But now, at, by the end of the chapter, the warnings are becoming more personal. It's more about the attitude that we are keeping in our hearts as we await his, his coming. Because every time that we talk about the end times, I don't know you, about you, but some people, and even sometimes ourselves, we start getting a little bit worried. When is that going to happen? Um, eh, Pastor Brandt, uh, three weeks ago, reminded us this. He said, we are just as worried today about the end times as the disciples were 2,000 years ago. So this is something important because Jesus is saying it's important. This is something that we can get distracted and we don't want to get distracted. But this is something that many times worries us. When is all this going to happen? So I, I want to approach the text in three different parts. Um, part number one, I call it the act of waiting. Number two, the task in the waiting. And number three, the hope for the waiting. And I'm going to explain what am I meaning and why are we just focusing in one part of this passage more than the rest. So let's start part number one, the act of waiting. Look what the, the, the verse 36. I'm going to tell you right now, church, when is Jesus coming back, okay? I'm going to tell you when. Verse 36. But about the day or hour, no one knows. You want to know when Jesus is coming back? No one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. See, I just saved you hours searching on YouTube about when Jesus is coming. <laughs> Don't do it. Don't do it. No one knows. No one knows. And that's not the point for us to know. The point for us is to know that he is coming back indeed. And the point for us is what are we going to do while we are waiting for his returning? That's the point. So this, this passage for us this morning, it, it highlights several aspects of, of this event of the coming of the Lord. There is, and, and I'm going to mention it quickly because I want to go to the point of the last part of the chapter. So there's an aspect of an unknown aspect of his coming. No one knows, like just, we just read, that we also uh, see that there's a, a 
conventional aspect of his coming. The, the passage also mentions that uh, like in the days of Noah, people will be drinking, eating, marrying, and giving themselves in marriage. That means that life is going to continue. It's, it's, it's going to be like ordinary day with that, when that's happening. So there's a conventional aspect of his second coming. There's also, uh, look, verse 39. This is when it's talking about uh, Jesus is using the illustration of the flood. Like in the days of Noah, people were going about their lives. Then they knew nothing about what would happen. It was unexpected, but it was also conventional in that. That would happen until the flood came and took them all away. This is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. There is an unexpected aspect. There is an unknown aspect and there is an unexpected aspect. Also, Jesus mentioned this. Uh, the, the commentaries call it micro parables. He just mentioned brief illustrations. And he says, it's like the owner of the house he never, know, he never knows when the thief is going to come to rob the house. And he's emphasizing the point of the unexpectedness of this. You should be prepared because no one knows when the thief is coming. Look at verse 42 and 44. It says, therefore, this is Jesus' point. Therefore, keep watch. Keep watch. Because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. So, verse 44 says, you also must be ready. Keep watch and be ready. I don't think that's hard to understand. I don't know why we get so deviated in all these timelines of when is he coming. And there's people that have said, I remember, I remember Living in Mexico, as a young man, people started saying that Jesus for sure is coming back in September of 1988. I don't know if you remember that. But there was a huge thing all over the world. Jesus is coming back in 1988. I was praying, saying, Lord, can, I haven't got married. Can you just delay it a little bit? <laughs> uh, Nothing happened. Then people changed the story. Oh, no, no, no. We miscalculated. It has been the story of it. And again, church, that's not the point for us. I would like to know why, how come all these people that make all their calculations don't make an emphasis on keep watch and be ready. Keep watch and be ready. It doesn't sound complicated. It's two very specific instructions. Oh, this is the thing. I believe that these are actually harder than we think they are. And this is why Jesus is going to bring the emphasis on the parable of the two servants. At the end of the passage, we have Jesus is telling us a parable about these two servants. One is who's, he's asking for who's the faithful servant. And then he says that this master goes away and puts the chief servant in charge of the rest of the household. And he gives him a task. Feed the rest of the servants. And Jesus is making a point. And his point is this. 
while we do what we do in the waiting matters. What we do while we are waiting matters. Now, this is something that I have learned about waiting. Maybe this is going to come as a surprise to you, but this is what I have learned in my life. None of us lacked, none of us like to wait. Is that a surprise for you? None of us like to wait. I don't like to wait for others. I don't know about you. It's like the person that says, if you want me, if you want me to be patient, don't make me wait. None of us likes the act of waiting. Uh, listen, we, we live in privileged times in history. We truly live. The, the access that we have to knowledge, information, technology, it's amazing what we can do these days. Uh, medicine, all the things that we have in these times, it's a privilege. But did you know that these are the worst times in history in learning how to wait well. This is the worst time to learn how to wait because the whole culture functions precisely in not helping you how to wait. It's almost like everything around you, it's made so you don't have to wait. So I don't have to wait. See, it, it, it's amazing when I think about how People in the old times used to take time to prepare lunch and dinner. And, and, and they have to actually go outside and, and kill a chicken and then bring the chicken and then prepare the, the whole thing. No wonder uh, people in those days lived in kitchens because that's what they did. When they finished the lunch, it's time already to start preparing dinner. So the, the whole life is spent in the kitchen. Nowadays, is everything is so quick and fast, and we we don't we don't wait. There's you know when I was thinking about this, I was thinking how technology has advanced so much. Do you remember the time when if you wanted to watch a movie, you have to buy a device, an artifact like this big? Bigger than our cell phones now. It's bigger than our cell phones. And the sole purpose of that artifact was to rewind the movie so you can bring the movie back. Now, maybe some millennials remember this, but some people from Gen Z maybe have no idea what this is. It actually, I'm not kidding. If you tell the stories to little kids, they're going to be fascinated because... The whole point today, listen, today you have whole seasons of episodes dropping in an instant. See, we invented something called binge watching. You know why binge watching exists? Because we don't like to wait. We want to see what's next. And we want to see what's next. And one episode finished, and, you, and, and I just look at my wife and I said, do you want to watch another one? And she's like, don't ask me, just press play. <laughs> We don't like to wait. Um, there was a few weeks ago, uh, I was going to meet someone, a brother in the faith, um, and I, uh, 
how do you call that? Stood up? I was stood up in the restaurant. Uh, not from this church, don't worry. It was from another church. Uh, so I was by myself. I was going to meet this brother. And, uh, and I was waiting, looking for my clock. And you know, when the time, you're there a little early, and then you, you get the time of the meeting, and you start looking at the meeting, you start sending text messages saying, like, everything okay, nothing, nothing, nothing. 10 minutes pass, 15 minutes pass, the waiters come and it's, it's everything okay. Um, finally, like 25 minutes after our appointment, sends a message, says, I'm sorry, I was fl uh, flying from another place and got delayed. I'm not going to make it. And I'm like, you know, don't worry. You know what I would say, don't worry, because I've done the same, but to other people. I'm being on the other side. And I forgot to write it down, and I just left them there. So I was gracious. Uh, but... This is something that I noticed. I felt awkward waiting because I didn't want to just grab my phone and just start looking at things. I wanted to say, okay, I have this time. I'm going to be enjoying it with the Lord. I'm going to, I ordered breakfast. I said, I came this far. I'm going to have breakfast here. Uh, and I wanted to savior the moment. And you know what happens? Time was going so slow. I don't know why when we are doing things, time flies. But when you are waiting, it seems like time goes so slow. And I was tempted just to go look at my phone and see things. But then I was fighting with myself. I said, why do I have to go to my phone? Why can I enjoy the moment? You know why? Because I've been trained in this culture today that... I don't like to wait, and I don't need to wait. I can keep doing things all the time, not stop. So what, I, what do I do? I get distracted. Distracted. I, I have three observations about waiting. Number one, I think waiting reminds me. We don't like waiting because waiting reminds me that my control is limited. I don't have control in everything. I'm not as powerful as sometimes my device makes me feel. I'm not as powerful. My control is limited. And waiting for something to happen reminds me that my control is limited. And I get impatience. You know what's impatience? Impatience is the idol of control inside of you telling you, come on, are you going to feed me with something? Let's make something happen. And you get impatient with people around you because people should be running around your schedule. And waiting is a reminder that we don't control everything. Second observation that I have is that waiting forces me, this is what I don't like waiting, forces me to depend in someone else rather than myself. When I'm waiting, I'm depending on somebody else. Have, have you ever wondered why someone that is waiting for a doctor is called patient? <laughs> Who came up with that? Who maybe it was a, maybe so, was someone at the front desk of the doctor and saw all these people waiting, and he, he said, how are we going to call them? Well, they're waiting patiently. Let's call them patients. I don't know where that comes from. 
But it makes sense. You know what it makes sense? Because you are at the mercy of somebody else. You are at the mercy of the doctor. That's why you're there. You may have a thousand more things to do and things of how you should be investing your time, because, but because it's about you and your health, you're willing to submit. And we wait patiently. Another observation is that waiting, I don't like waiting because, and this is the, the hardest one for me, waiting requires me to deal with myself. And I don't like that. I'd rather be distracted on my phone thinking and looking at videos of cats <laughs> than to think about how am I doing in my life. I don't like to be left alone with myself. And that's a problem, church. And that's a problem for people living in these days. And that's also a problem for the people of God that we live in these days. And that's why we need to learn to wait. See, here's a, a confession. I already said it. I'm going to say it again. Here's a confession. I don't like to wait. But here's a reality. God always calls his people to wait. Always. It's all throughout scripture. God is always calling his people in times of waiting. Because here's the truth. God is always working in the waiting for the people of God. If you are a believer and if you are a disciple of Jesus, your times of waiting are not wasting times. There are times when God is working in your life, doing something that he wants to do. Because what we do in the waiting matters. This takes me to point number two. The task in the waiting. The task in the waiting. Now, before we continue with the, the parable that we're going to mention and we've been mentioning about these two masters, let's, let's remember something. And we need to be reminded that we're not supposed to get doctrine out of parables. What do I mean by that? Is that parables are not dogmas. Parables are stories. Stories Jesus told. They're analogies that were meant to illustrate principles of the kingdom of God. So out of a, a parable, you're not going to make a dogma, but out of a parable, you're going to learn principles that Jesus is pointing out through his stories. Now, having said that, we also need to rem remember that Jesus is the greatest storyteller in all history. So everything that Jesus says in his parables means something and matters because he's always careful with the words he used and the examples that he is using. So in this parable, we see that there is a task given to the servant while the master is away. And while they are waiting for the returning of the master, the servant is supposed to do something with his fellow servants. Look at verse 45. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom the master has put in charge of the servants in his household. It's in charge of the servants in his household. Listen and read that part. To give them their food 
at the proper time. So the task of this servant is to feed the other servants and to treat them well and to take care of them while the master returns. Now, Jesus is going to explain this. There's a servant that is not going to do that. Look, verse 48. Suppose that the servant is wicked and says to himself, my master is staying away a long time. So what is he going to do? He's going to delay the task. Ah, my master is not coming anytime soon. I can do this later. My master is staying away a long time. So the first thing that I observe from this servant that has not been faithful is that he's considering delaying the task because he doesn't know when the master is coming. He's neglecting the task by delaying it. He's postponing it. He's not being diligent. He is not being watchful and ready. He's doing the exact opposite of what Jesus said previously. Keep watching, be ready. This servant is not doing that. Now, I want to make a point here. Distraction is not necessarily a sin. Distraction is, is immoral. It's not immoral or moral. It's distraction is distraction. But distraction can be sin when God gives you a task and you neglect it by being distracted. So from distraction to disobedience can be a, just an only small step. And this is when us, the people of God, the church, we need to be watchful and ready. How many times are we getting distracted by everything that is happening in the world? And we're not doing what the master asks us to do. The task that has been given to us. And we're distracted by so many things. Now, let me ask this. How many of you in this room, how many of you are the type of people that when you have a commitment, a responsibility, or an assignment, you will, you will rather do it sooner rather than later? You say, I want to get over with this. Can you left, raise your hand? My wife will love you. <laughs> now, who says, you know, I have time, I have time. And then the day before, it's like, oh, man, I have to finish this for tomorrow. How many of us, including the preacher? Uh, my people, we need to get together and pray for one another at the end of the service. So that the first people that raise their hands have patience with us. <laughs> uh, you know, even, even, uh, even people that are type A, they say, I'd rather do things now. Even people like that, and all of us, the rest for sure, <laughs> we struggle. We do the right thing. James, the Apostle James, wrote this to the church, and he says, If anyone knows the good they have to do, and if they don't do it, that's sin. So even for the people that like to do everything, 
on time and get prepared, if there is something good that God asks us to do and we're not doing it, maybe we, it's not in right radar, maybe we're distracted, but that's sin as well. That's what James is telling the church. As I was thinking about this, neglecting the task in the waiting, I got reminded of a moment in the life of the disciples. It's going to happen days after what's happening in Matthew 24. In fact, we're going to see it in a few Sundays. Jesus is praying in the Garden of Gethsemane because the, the hour has come. See, they're also waiting for an event. We right now are waiting for the second coming. Back then, the disciples with Jesus, Jesus told them that there's an event coming. Jesus is giving his life. They don't know, the disciples, when that is going to happen. Jesus tells them, this is coming soon. I need to pray. Can you pray with me? And you remember what the disciples did, right? Matthew 26 is going to tell us, go there and pray, Jesus tells them. Then Jesus returns to his disciples and found them what? Sleeping. They were not being watchful. They were not being ready. They were just tired. Tired and distracted by their own sleep. They were not able to keep with Jesus' task. And Jesus tells us, couldn't you men keep watch with me for one hour? For one hour. And then he tells them this. He tells them, watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. That sounds very similar to keep watch and be ready. Because Jesus says this. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know why you sin in the waiting? You know why I'm seeing when I am waiting? I get impatient. I get frustrated. I say things that I should have said. I think things that I should have thought. Because even the spirit is willing, the flesh is weak. And I'm not watchful. And I'm not ready. And in the waiting... Is bringing out of me whatever is in my heart. That's the specialty of the waiting. When you are in the waiting, whatever is in there, it's going to come out. It's like a pressure cook. It's going to come out. So next thing that we see in this unfaithful servant, look at verse 49, part B. says, when he neglects and says, my master is staying a long time. I'm not going to do this. He starts to eat and drink with drunk words. See, he was supposed to feed the fellow servants. He's not feeding them. He's feeding, feeding him, who? Himself. He's just thinking about himself. He's just going overboard. He's just giving himself, surrendering to his own passions. He's disobeying the task now. He's disobeying the task. He was not supposed to be doing this. And he's doing it. Sometimes I hear people that say, you know what? I don't know. It's a walking with the Lord. Sometimes I feel so tired, feel so discouraged. And of course, there is a time to feel discouraged. There is a time to feel tired. But be careful. What do you do when you feel discouraged, when you feel tired? Because most of the times, what we do when we feel like that is we put ourselves first and everybody else second. 
And this is what the unfaithful master and unfaithful servant is doing. He's thinking about himself. He's eating and he's drinking. Second Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy and he's telling him about the end times. And Paul is saying this word, listen to this. Mark my words. There will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves. There is a narrative in the culture right now that you should love yourself first. People that are living the faith, when you listen to the arguments that they have, they said, it's that I was neglecting myself for the sake of others. God doesn't want me to do that. And you're like, where are you? Which Bible are you reading? Yes, God doesn't want you to forsake yourself, but he's calling you to die to yourself for the good of others. That's part of the whole point of Christianity. It's what Jesus did. There's also another disciple that reminds me of, of that. Exactly after the disciples fall asleep. One of the disciples, Jesus is telling him, you're going to deny me in a few hours. When the hour of waiting gets darker, you're going to get anxious. You're going to succumb to your fears and doubts. You're going to deny me. And he's like, no, 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 no. I will die for you. I will die for you. And surely, in the art of waiting, Peter denies his master. Some neglected the, the task. Another one, putting himself first, his safety first, now is disobeying the task. But then, what worries me the most, I want to start landing now. What worries me the most is the first part of verse 49. The unfaithful servant begins to beat his fellow servants. That doesn't make any sense to me. Jesus is telling this parable. And he's telling us the master has given a task to the servant. And the servant, instead of fulfilling the task, is postponing it and neglecting it. Is putting himself first, and now he is abusing others around him. And this is the scary part. He's abusing with the very things that the master gave him. All the resources are of the master, and he's abusing his fellow servants. Now he is defying the task. And there is a difference, church, between delaying, disobeying, and now defying and going completely against. So he appropriated the authority that received from the master, and instead of using that for the good of others, he's abusing and beating his fellow servants. You know what? Uh, a few days ago... Uh, I was so discouraged. Uh, Pastor Jonathan was telling me about this story. Uh, there's a, a group of brothers in the faith. 
they lead worship, they sing. A lot of people know them. They were invited to this concert where there's another worship team that is going to be part of that event. Now, there's a whole group of churches that they don't like this particular group because it comes coming from another church that they don't agree. These other brothers are, have been very good testimony, faithful for years. They just happen to say yes to this invitation where there's going to be a lot of musicians. And you want to start it to happen? Jonathan was telling me. People started pouring over, shaming them, saying, how dare you say yes and be part of that? Uh, I thought you were strong believers. You're supposed to keep guard the truth. How are you mixing yourselves with those heretics, which, by the way, I don't think they're heretics, this other group. And it was so sad to see the words that the church is telling the church. You know what I'm talking about, because this is all over. If someone doesn't agree with me, even if he's a believer, I'm ready to bring all, not only the arguments, the big weapons, and all the verses that I know. Do you know that you need to be careful? One thing is to contend for the truth and honor God's truth. Another thing is try to use the word of God to keep, to seek fightings and to keep fighting with others for whenever argument you want to bring. We should be very afraid of using the word of God to manipulate people around us. It could be your family when you're using text of the Bible to make them do what you want them to do and not, you're not, it's not, that's not disciple, that's manipulation. One thing is to, I'm going to tell you what you should do because this is good for you. The attitude is, it's the attitude, it starts in the attitude. If your attitude is that I want to make you do what I want you to do and you better do it because the Bible says this, that's not the right spirit. Jesus never did that. Jesus was always, I'm telling you to do this because it's for your own good. And we, the people of God, need to check ourselves. We need to be watchful and be ready. Because what we do in the waiting matters. It matters because it either honors God or dishonors God. It matters because it allows me to grow in virtue during the waiting or it allows me to succumb to my own passions. What I do in the waiting matters because it allows me to serve others or it gives me the opportunity to abuse others that are closest to me. Keep watch and be ready because, church, my actions in the waiting reveal the orientation of my trusting. Your actions in the waiting reveal the orientation of your trusting. What are you trusting about? That is revealed in the waiting. And that's why Jesus says, be watchful and pray. And we finish with number three, the hope for the waiting. I have one verse for this. Because when Jesus starts telling this parable, he says, 
Who then is the faithful and wise servant? Who then is the faithful and wise servant? And you know who's the faithful and wise servant? Is the one who's telling the story. Jesus is the wise and faithful servant. And Jesus said this in Matthew 20, 28. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, the disciples in the hour of waiting, neglecting the words of Jesus, fell asleep. Peter, in the hour of waiting, put himself first and denied Jesus. Judas, in the hour of waiting, opposed and betrayed Jesus and sold him for 30 coins. But yet Jesus, the faithful and wise servant, a few chapters later, he's going to take the towel. He's going to kneel and he's going to wash the feet of all of them. Of all of them. He's going to serve them. In the hour of waiting, Jesus served. He gave his life. He rescued us from our sins. He rose again. He is coming again in power and in glory. Jesus is the one that saves us. Not only in the waiting, but he saves us from what's happening in our hearts while we are waiting. He gave his life as a rescue for many. The ones of us that we neglected, the ones of us that we disobeyed, even the ones of us that we defied his task. He came to seek and save the lost. Let's pray. Jesus, forgive us for the times that we have not known how to wait well, watchful and ready. Forgive us, Lord. You gave yourself for us. You serve us till the last moment. You serve even those who were against you. Thank you for that. That power of that humility, Lord, changes lives. It breaks down idols in our hearts. I pray, Lord, that as your church, we may be found out faithful. When you come, Jesus, find us serving in the task, honoring you, living for your glory. In your name, Lord, we pray. Amen. As we find ourselves waiting for Jesus, we also can celebrate that we are almost home. So let's stand and respond to God's word.
watchful, be ready, but be hopeful, be hopeful, because we're all, almost home. Jesus promised this, that the work that he began in you, he will fulfill it to completion to the day he comes back for his people. You can be hopeful, and you can be sure of that. Let's receive the blessing and the benediction that Jesus himself has won for us giving his life for those of us who were not the faithful servants. He, the faithful servants, empowers you to serve. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us so that your ways may be known on earth and your salvation among all nations. We all say amen. Love you, church. With your Bible, you are sent. The Lord be with you this week.